Welcome, everyone. We're back for another episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers, and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. The Team Blaney Podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the Blaney Racing family for two decades. Today, we closely follow third-generation driver Ryan Blaney, who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast, we review Ryan's latest NASCAR race, and then most of the time, we give you a preview for the race for the upcoming weekend, offering news, notes, statistics and analysis steve it's bristol baby but this time it was on dirt it was interesting um i'm not sure yet how i feel i'm a dirt person and i like it they had a lot to learn and um they learned a lot on the fly and they've already announced they're going to do it again next year so hopefully anything that they needed to learn will change next year and you know and it'll grow you know yeah i mean what i would have to say about this whole thing and we talked about it before is that this was really an experiment to see what would happen um now obviously the that tennessee area was hit with just you know rain of biblical proportions that i don't think anyone could have seen that coming i did hear people you know when this race was first announced saying you know the spring bristol races sometimes have some weather i don't think anyone predicted that that would happen parking lots and entrances and campgrounds around all around the track being flooded so Weather aside, what I would say going into this and the way that it, it ended up that this was not chaotic. The racing, I thought, ended up being pretty good. It wasn't just caution after caution after caution. There were some cautions, but there's also a few times, including the end of the race, you know, where Bubba Wallace looped it around and they were able to keep going, where as sometimes on asphalt racing, that's not a possibility. So I think overall, um, it met my expectations. Really, really sad for the sport. <laughs> Just in the fact that this was one of the biggest, most hyped races of the year. And much like the Daytona 500, weather ended up playing a factor to where this race gets pushed all the way until Monday. We lose that full day of heat racing action and truck series racing. And that just just gets pushed back to where people are working. Unfortunately, fans, a lot of fans, including you who attended on Saturday, had to go home and go back to work on Monday. So... That part was really unfortunate, but I think the overall product that we ended up with on the track was impressive. They have a lot to learn. They made some mistakes, but I think they can correct those. And as you said, they flashed it up on Colossus, the giant billboard, saying dirt is back in 2022. Yeah, the the, the good thing is, is they got Friday's event in. They got the two practices for the trucks and the, uh, and, the, and, the, and the regular cup cars. And the big thing about that is the learning curve and this is something that the whole weekend is a learning curve for nascar there's a learning curve for the teams there was a learning curve for the drivers and it's like um you know how you get an iphone and they don't give you the instructions and they say just play with it and you'll figure it out well that's what friday felt like and what was great about it was you go and you watch on tv and ryan is the 31st fastest time in the first practice but then um, that they go back to that data they used to show you where it was 10 lap averages and you realize his 10 lap averages were in the top 10 somewhere in there during practice and then the second practice comes along and he goes out there and throws out the fastest time and the same thing those 10 lap averages he was in the top 10 of the, of the 10 lap averages so from the start of the first practice to the end of the second practice his learning curve was steep he learned everything, not everything you need to know. He learned everything he needed to know to get faster. And 
uh, how the other 38, 39 guys did during those two practices was going to be interesting to see too, you know, and then how do you translate that to Sunday? Well, what ends up being Monday um, was really important. And it really showed like guys like Martin Truex who didn't have any dirt experience either. All of a sudden he wins the truck race and then he's running out in front of the cup race. And, you know, some of these guys who weren't dirt guys per se, showed that they could learn quickly and uh, they're that good of drivers out there, you know. That was probably one of my favorite parts of the weekend was practice on Friday because had a little fun with the Team Blaney Twitter because, yeah, that first practice ends, Ryan's way down on the speed chart, and I'm like, okay, hold on, let's let's take a look and see if they publish the, the average lap times. And I said, oh, great, everybody, don't put your tinfoil hats away or, you know, the sky isn't falling. He's still in the top 10 and 10 lap averages. Don't even worry about what the leaderboard says. And then, you know, an hour, a couple hours later, he, he sets the fastest time in practice. And I'm like, never mind. It means everything. <laughs> He's in first. So um, I think what we, we found out today was that uh, across the truck race and the cup race, that the whole dirt ringers, kind of like how we used to have road course ringers, the dirt ringers didn't really prevail, though Ricky Stenhouse didn't end up having himself a day. So, But guys from Martin Truex Jr. to Daniel Suarez to Denny Hamlin, a lot of these guys all ran up front all day long with barely a lick of dirt experience on them. So, And that 12 car had some speed. So I think that's a good time now to take a look at Ryan Blaney's weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway on the dirt. Ryan Blaney, race recap. Bristol Motor Speedway, dirt. All right, uh, they uh, did one thing over the between the practices and the race, and that was decided to go with these competition cautions every 50 laps. And um, with the uh, pit stops were non-competitive pit stops. So every 50 laps, they were going to come in. They got three minutes. And they could do whatever they needed to the car. And as long as you got it done within those three minutes, you retained your position going into the next stage or the next part of the, of, of the race. So it was supposed to be uh, – Stages of 100, 200, and 50, or, or lap 100, 200, and, and 250 being the final. And um, like I said, they broke it up into 50 lap segments. So you had a, a stage a break um, competition caution uh, uh, within each stage. So um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, um, so one of the things that with that, that you're talking about how they decided to add in some extra competition cautions. That was part of this whole experiment thing. They had the, got the practice in on Friday. They found out that some of these guys, you know, even with uh, 30 some laps on their tires or the 60 some laps on their tires, they didn't have anything left of their right rear for a majority of the drivers. And we know sometimes teams can be a little bit finicky and maybe overplay some of the speed issues or mechanical issues or things that they have to, in order to maybe get a, uh, a little bit of an advantage over one team or another. But this wasn't just the Ford saying that they were having t tire problems. This was teams across the board. And they were able to work with NASCAR and kind of implemented this spot where they could get a couple extra cautions to get some more tires for the rest of the race. Yeah, it wasn't like that Indianapolis problem from years and years ago where every 10 laps they needed to stop. But 50 laps is a good-sized run, and it gave everybody a good chance to look at it. And nobody actually blew a tire within that 50 laps either. So um, it was worth doing, and it kind of gave everybody that competitive thing where we got together, everybody got the same uh, changes done within those three minutes at, at each break. Um, 
the rain out of the uh, of the heat races caused them to have to do their lineup uh, with the matrix. Uh, and uh, Ryan actually was starting third, which was great. Um, especially when the five car had to change an engine and go to the rear. So Ryan starts on the inside row. Denny uh, technically is the uh, control car for, I'm not sure how that worked, but he was the control car on the start. And um, basically uh, within the first five or six laps, Ryan's in the top three, drops back to fourth. And uh, they're talking about um, Josh, just talking about what line everyone around him is using, you know, whether it's the, the low line itself or uh, what we would call the midline um, uh, midway up through the turns. Um, I think once they get spread out, you basically see them down the straightaway, uh, you know, up high and then kind of diamonding into the corners. Uh, some guys cut all the way down to the, to the bottom and try to ride the bottom. Some guys slide a little bit up in the middle and uh, get good momentum coming off if they can get it pointed straight quick enough. Um, they ask them on lap 10 about the temperatures and they're all good because that's another, another issue that the cars were going to have is they got these tear offs basically on the front of the car so that you could tear off and, and, and clean the grill off, uh, every 50 laps. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, lap 11, uh, um, Kyle Bush ends up having a temp problem and having to go in and, and fix it. Um, by lap 14, he's up to second and, uh, by uh, lap 28, about 1.8 seconds back. And let's see, he gets um, the 66 gets in his way a little later on, and then he ends up going back to third. They use him as a pick, basically. And uh, then the 24 passes, he's fourth. So by lap 38, uh, he's back to fifth as the 20 passes him. And that's only about four seconds off the lead. So he's not losing a lot of ground to the leader. And then they do get a caution at lap 41, right before they're going to they're gonna come into the uh, to get the tires. Um, but they don't come in and pit at this point because they're, they're, you know, they're only a couple, couple laps from that competition caution. Uh, they red flag it because the, uh, the 10 hit the dirtle. Yeah, did I say it right? Dirtle, D-I-R-T-L-E. <laughs> yeah, and I thought it was interesting because if you didn't know what they were, you kind of see these big white squares that were kind of painted along the bottom of the track. And I remember, wasn't really sure what that was. And those were, I think, added after the the last couple of weeks of dirt racing, you know, regular dirt car racing was happening at the track. They kind of build up these turtles towards the bottoms or these kind of humps or median that kind of rolls around the, the bottom of the racetrack. And in some cases we saw some late models and some other things kind of hit those and launch up into the air. Um, in this case, it wasn't as dramatic, but they did still cause some problems, but they really didn't want you racing down that low. Uh, what was kind of cool is they were stopped for a red flag there. And, um, the 10 hitting the dirtle, uh, the 78 to 38 and a seven were all involved with that. And, um, Joey was behind Ryan a spot or two, and he actually drove up to Ryan's car while they were on the, on the red flag, just to look at his tires, to look at the rear tire wear, which was kind of a cool thing that he did and kind of report back to the, the, the Penske pits. So they knew what kind of tire wear they're going to have, uh, cause they had 10 more laps to go, uh, in the uh before the uh comp caution so at lap 47 um he's back to eight and the um the 24 and the six tangle and the six spins and he ends up seventh at the competition caution so they bring it in and uh, they're talking about uh being tight on entry and uh needing um more uh, straight line speed off so just trying to be able to punch it coming out of the turns and uh, you know getting turned straight before you do that 
Now, what I don't really, what I've said before, or at least during this race and after this race, talking with some people, was that this was just a huge unknown setup-wise. They kind of had some ideas, maybe, from what they did with the trucks, but still the trucks are completely different from these cup cars. So you don't really know. They talked about Todd Gordon talking a little bit with Dave Blaney uh, over the weeks leading into this about things that maybe they could do. But Dave, you know, when uh, he was interviewed by Dale Jr. on his podcast, kind of said, you know, yeah, we we talked, you know, we talked a little bit, but you know, I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> I can, we can guess about what things are going to do, but, um, and that's kind of really what it was. So at this point, crew chiefs across the garage are hearing feedback from their drivers and trying to make adjustments to make the cars better. But just as the entire track was doing an experiment, it really was an experiment all race long for these crew chiefs. Well, you, you couldn't. Um couldn't make adjustments based on uh, what other dirt cars do on dirt tracks because the cars, other dirt cars that run on dirt tracks are set up different. You know, some of them have that big right rear tire, you know, or they're dealing with more, uh, more camber or more stagger. And, and uh, so making an adjustment based on what dirt cars do was really hard for them to, 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 to try to figure out on, um, you know, so some of it is you try to make an adjustment based on what you did on asphalt um, but these things, like I said, they're all learning experiences. There were, you know, you could have a notebook, but I mean, really, really, you weren't going to know until you found out what, it, how it reacted. Cause there wasn't a lot of testing done either. It was basically a tire test, you know, coming into this. Um, what was interesting though, is they only had three minutes, they had three minutes to make changes. And a lot of the teams did not bring their normal pit crews because, um, they wanted more engineering type people over the wall to help make certain types of changes. And one of the things Todd said is he wanted to look at the tires before he made the change on what to do (laughs) with the next set of tires. And that's really an interesting thing because you don't normally have time to think about that or do it, but you hurry up and take those tires off and you still have, you know, a minute, uh, two and a half minutes to look at them and figure out what to do next. So that's something they actually did on that first change there. And uh, the right rear was blistered, which a lot of cars had during that first, uh, first segment. And um, the, uh, there was no choose cone. So when they do go to the restart here, the leader can choose high or low, and that's it. And um, every time from here to the end of the race, the leader took the high lane. So if you were an odd-numbered car on the restart when they were doing the dual restarts, uh, you were stuck because the high lane is the lane that took off. <laughs> so it was hard to make any kind of move. And the, the high lane was the better lane to be on to try and make a move, too. This is one of the things that I thought was pretty funny was the fact that the choose cone or the choose rule comes from short tracks and dirt tracks and even asphalt short tracks, short tracks too, where they stick a cone out on the track that's tied to a rope. And then after everyone goes flying past on the, on the restart, they start sometimes someone's running into the infield with it or they're pulling on the rope to get the cone in there. So I thought it was really funny that NASCAR kind of came out and said, oh, we can't do the choose rule because we're on a dirt track and we can't paint our cone on the on the track like they're used to so i'm like ah just stick a stick a cone out there stick even a a bigger one out there if you really needed to but either way i don't think it it made that um that much of a difference um overall but there's still some times where guys i think there's a point when truex took the inside um in the truck race instead of the outside on a restart and just kind of learned some things here and there so um I think it really mostly mattered for the guys that were right up front in the top four positions. But then after that, it was a little bit uh, 
chaotic after restarts with guys kind of going three wide and four wide if they can and then um, trying to evade each other. Um, so they do the restart at lap 51 there and uh, the two, I'm sorry, the, the 20, the five and the 42 ends up in a crash where the 20 spun by himself uh, and collected up a couple of the dirt, dirt track ringers basically right there and ruined their days. Um, Ryan was eighth at this point and um, he, uh, it ends up being on an outside line for the next restart, which totally helps him. And he goes from like eighth to fourth on that next restart at lap 59. Um, from that point, um, they, uh, he's talking about no drive off and, uh, as some, some feedback basically before they get to the end of the stage and he ends up fifth at the end of stage one that the 19 actually wins the stage. So yet another stage in a row here where Ryan scored some stage points. So keeps the, keeps that, uh, points momentum rolling. Um, they, uh, talk about being too tight, uh, to wrap the bottom basically. So. We're doing some air pressure things and taking wedge out. And they checked on the temperatures and how here they said the temperatures are 90 to 100 under. So I'm not sure, once again, how this temp scale works. And they, they definitely did different things with their radiator system. Um, but he never really had a problem with overheating like some of the other trucks had. Um, they said the right rear was all the way gone this time. But they didn't say it was blistered. So they did something that improved at least the tire wear to the point where it didn't blister the tire. Uh, it says the uh, left, the left rear was two thirds gone and the right front was two thirds gone also. So, you know, trying to get up to fifth place uh, does take a little bit on your tires. You know, if you want to be there, you gotta, you know, it wasn't going to be one of those races where you save tires basically. And I thought um, he was doing a, a pretty good job overall throughout the race. Um, maybe trying some different lines here and there. He was also hanging pretty tough, and I, I we've mentioned it earlier in other episodes from races this year that I kind of feel like it's almost, I mean, a new Ryan Blaney this year, more aggressive Ryan Blaney, more of a I'm not going to get pushed around kind of a guy, and you're on this dirt track sliding around there, and he could have easily a couple of times just pulled up and let maybe a faster guy by, Um but it even made me nervous at some points. I'm like, it's still early in the race. Just let, you know, just let him go. Uh, but he, he hung tough as, as long as he could. And I think that kind of actually helps, especially later on in the race, to know what you can actually do with your car when someone is kind of breathing down your neck. You know, it's one of those things that when they're asking, he's asking Josh, like, where somebody's running. And it, part of it is, like, knowing the line that the other guy's using and using that same line. So if the guy is going to pass you, he's going to have to do something he's uncomfortable with to pass you. And he's got to find enough speed to do it. And, you know, it makes it a, a lot harder. And it's not a blocking strategy per se. But what it is is just saying, if you're going to beat me, you better beat me. You know, and you're not going to have, you know, and most of these guys race each other well enough where they don't do it with their fender, you know. And not necessarily to jump all the way to the head, end of the race, but since, uh, spoiler alert, the win doesn't involve Ryan, but um, that's kind of the, the discussion that Denny Hamlin was having with his crew chief on that final restart. They're talking about how Joey is very aggressive, he, could, he knows, can block your run, all that stuff. You're going to have to go out there and beat him. And what Denny tried to do was go where Joey wasn't, but unfortunately that didn't work out for him, but he had, he tried to do, he had to try and do something, but it was nice or refreshing to see that that something wasn't 
just to lay the bumper to Joey and push him up out of the way and further along the, the feud that he has. Uh, we, uh, we start off stage two um, and drop back within the first couple laps to like seventh or eighth. Um, they're talking about being tight on entry. And uh, the 99 takes the lead actually at lap 136, which is uh, pretty interesting that they, they put their car together and, uh, and did a great job of uh, running well on old tires. And uh, it, I'm sure it was very exciting at your household. Yeah, so I have a soft spot for Daniel Suarez just because that's kind of when my, my wife has always been, you know, like a, a Ryan Blaney fan and kind of followed along. But there was a point when her fandom kind of turned where we started going to races regularly and she kind of latched on to Daniel Suarez because I think uh, we were watching um, the Homestead Championship race that he won and she thought it was kind of cool that he won that Xfinity Championship. And then the next year when we went to Daytona, she kind of had somebody to root for a little bit and we've got to meet him several times and he's been really nice to her. So I've enjoyed his story. I've, he's kind of, he's been driving at a couple really top notch cup teams, but always kind of felt like the third wheel. He was kind of really pushed into his first cup ride when I don't think he was even ready, even as the Xfinity champion. But, um, I just like Trackhouse. This whole Trackhouse team, everything that Justin Marks is trying to do, I think they're doing it the right way. They're basically in-house at RCR, and I don't know everything that they do, their mission, their education mission. I think everything is everything is pretty cool. And I mean, it wasn't like Suarez was just it was just a fluke. He drove his way to the front. It wasn't strategy or something. He he did have a you know like a top twenty run in the truck race earlier in the day, so maybe he learned a little bit. But like he said, and he jokingly said during the broadcast, and then after the after the race was over, that he had no idea what he was doing, but um, he knew something. That's for sure. And they they put a good car underneath him, and hopefully that team sees the success that they deserve. They get to the uh, competition caution uh, at lap one fifty there, and. Um... Ryan had fallen back to like 12th at this point. And I guess so there was a, they were getting tighter. Um, so basically they took out a bunch of changes, swapped some things out, go the other direction. And, uh, you know, like I said, they're learning at this point. Their, their notebook is brand new. It's a fresh page. And uh, they, they, they went back on a bunch of things to, to go the other direction. Um, and, and as we find out, it, it actually helps. Um, they, <laughs> That lap 153, they restart, and nobody could see anything. And this is basically where the 18 hits the 12, and the 12 was trying to avoid a couple cars in front of him that hit each other. And, uh, you know, listening to the spotting on this, too, I mean, Josh is trying his best. Uh, he can see, and he tried to give him some direction, but you come out of the turn, and the guy gets underneath you, and I'm not going to blame anybody because it's one of those things where something happened 200 feet ahead of you. You make a move to avoid that move. Somebody else doesn't see the move you're making to avoid that move. And, uh, you know, Kyle Busch's car, Ryan's car. And speaking of Ryan's car, when, when anybody gets a chance, go to the Team Blaney uh, Twitter, Facebook. Um, Adam found a picture of the car after the race, and it is amazing what he did with that car. <laughs> at the end of the race yeah it really kind of looked like someone took a can opener to the left rear the <laughs> the left rear quarter panel of that car so he had a really really cool uh left rear tire uh, i would i would assume but yeah i thought it was kind of crazy that whole incident i mean i think brian was slowing for something that was going on with chase elliott and somebody else ahead so really really unfortunate um i know ryan and kyle have kind of crashed a couple of times together i think 
most famously, I think, one uh, incident at Pocono. But I don't think this was, there was no malicious intent. I don't think Ryan really made a mistake. It just happened. And, I mean, it was a, a product of racing on dirt with the dirt flying in the air, all that dust. Plus, we were right around um, the sun kind of changing its direction in the sky over there. And they were showing these in-car cameras from the crash. And even right before that, um, I think even all the way back to maybe some of Almirola's uh, incident a little bit earlier on, the way the sun was hitting those drivers as they were going down uh, a particular part of the straightaway, depending on where the sun was, it was almost like you couldn't see. Now, we don't know exactly what they saw through their helmets and, and their visors and everything, but with the in-car cameras, it kind of just looked like a white sheet <laughs> at certain points. And I think Jeff Gordon had even mentioned, like, you know, they can't even see through that whole turn, that whole turn or something. So mm-hmm. you're just kind of running through it with a hope and a prayer. And unfortunately, this incident kind of puts them uh, into the back of the pack where they had to make some adjustments on the car, or not even adjustments, but repairs to the car. And you had even brought this up that without that pit crew that's not only trained for speed uh, and, and accuracy in pit stops, they are also trained on, like, a damage clock and that kind of a thing. So, which I know there wasn't a damage clock in this instance, but they still needed to have the knowledge on how to re- try and repair this car. And I think my words were just, I was like, just cut off the bad parts and, and let them go. And then <laughs> by the end of the race, that kind of looks like they, they did that. They got them in and out, in and out. I think he came in three to four different times during that time period and, 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 you know, got him in, did it, did it, and then get him, let him go, let him go, let him go. And then should I come back in to catch up? Okay. Come back in. And yeah, it was amazing what they able to do during that time period. And you have to remember, which I didn't even think about it until you just said that, um, why they had to come in so many times it's Bristol. And even though they, I don't know what the pace laps are for the, the cautions, but you really don't have, you know, two or three minutes to, to use up while, you know, these guys are going around a mile and a half track uh, or even bigger. So they got to come in, beat and bang, like for five seconds, let them go, <laughs> do it again, tape, put one piece of tape on, do it again. So like you said, pretty impressive. And um, it didn't show it from the the next restart that you'll talk about that, that, that this team would kind of catch lightning at the end, but it, it ended up working out. They, uh, they go ahead with single file restarts from this point forward um, based on the, the problems they were having with the, with the dust and the dirt. And they figure if you get single file, then at least um, you don't have to worry about something coming down on you right off the bat, you know, and doing that. I mean, people might think that, you know, on NASCAR, another example of NASCAR just changing the rules on the fly, deciding to go from double file to single file restarts, me growing up around dirt racing, essentially, that's nothing new. There's a point when the, the track uh, officials make that call on short tracks all the time. Most of the time, it's because there's several crashes and it's it's guys like, you know, can't stay off of each other on these restarts because they're being a little bit too uh, dangerous, I don't want to say. In this case, though, part of it was because of the conditions and they don't want to see a bunch of people torn up. So I thought it was a, a pretty good decision that they made on the fly there. Yeah, the thing about a dirt track, short track uh, situation is there's no pace truck usually, so there's nobody to pace the field. So when they come down too too wide, the next thing you know, they're five wide or whatever. And by putting that cone down, a lot of of tracks put a cone on a rope, and they pull that thing off the track after everybody comes past it once. But what it does is it keeps everybody in that single file line until they get to the start finish line, and nobody's two, three wide before they even get to turn one, you know. so they do, the, they do restart at this point, and he's 24th, um, you know, basically the back of the pack on the restart. 
and uh, there's about 15 laps left in the uh, at the before the stage ends. Um, they have, they talk about having the same issues here as he's given them a little bit of a report. Uh, the 22 wins stage two, and Ryan's 24th at this point now. They do give them a 10 minute time period to make changes between stages uh, two and three, and part of the reason is they're wetting the track at this point. They actually get some tr- water truck out there and try to dampen things down a little bit so that uh, they don't have a dust problem the rest of the way. Um, <clears throat> with the single file restart, he's 24th. And uh, this is the fun part. Um, they, they, you know, they made some great adjustments during that last pit stop with the 10 minutes, uh, 10 minute clock. Um, lap 206 up to 20th. Another lap later, another spot, 19th. <laughs> Lap 210, 18th. Lap 216, 17th. Lap 217, 16th. Three more laps later, 15th. Two more laps later, 14th. Another lap, 13th. Two more laps later, 12th. So by lap 225, we're all the way up to 12th from restarting at uh, 24th. And we're seeing this happening, and, you know, I'm texting you, like, you know, once he even got to like 15th, I'm like, something's, you know, something's happening here. This is getting pretty exciting. And every lap, like you said, just following that leaderboard keeps gaining and gaining and gaining. And at one point I'm like, I think we can get into the top 10. That would be an amazing day. Amazing comeback for this team uh, showing their resiliency. And I think I mentioned this in previous podcasts that that was one thing that this 12 team really needed to do this year was get some adversity during a race and then be able to come back back from it and dig themselves out of that hole. And that is the definition of what happened today. Um, by lap 242 up to 11th, and then there's a caution that comes out uh, basically, which is going to make it a green-white checker finish. Um, he's up to 10th now uh, because of the what things that happened leading that caution. It was kind of funny. Um, uh, Ryan's talking to Josh at this point, and he says something to the effect of uh, uh, keep an eye on it, which I think he means just because everything's going to get wild, you know. And he says, uh, oh, he says, keep an eye on it or squint or use goggles or whatever you need to do <laughs> because of the dust and the dirt and everything else. Um, but um, basically, that green white checkered couple more spots um and uh eighth place finish after you know restarting the the last stage at 24th is a huge huge gain and uh, he does say uh, in there that the car was a lot better on that last run so um once again they learned from some things they made the right changes at the right time um you know who knows what would happen uh, if you're not involved in that incident uh, because they were running in the top 10 or near the top 10 at that point but uh you know, overall, that's a pretty good team day. And, uh, to, you know, I said last week, uh, top 10 would be great. And sure enough, eighth is great. And, uh, you know, going into, you know, two weeks from now, the next race, uh, you know, he ran a lap uh, that was the fourth fastest lap of the race, finishes eighth. He's still like seventh in the standings. So we're looking probably at another, you know, top five uh, start next or two weeks from now at Martinsville, which, you know, for him is great. He only has to pass a couple of guys and then, you know, Hopefully have a great weekend there. I really thought it was an incredible turnaround. Honestly, when he did crash, I didn't have that much invested in this race. I wanted to watch it more for entertainment, see what NASCAR was able to do um, by throwing dirt on Bristol and kind of throwing the curveball at these drivers. So when he crashed, I'm like, ah, it was bound to happen. Like everyone's, you know, barely coming out of here unscathed. So, but 
I, I really, I told you by the end of this thing, man, I was like, I'm pumped. That was, that was terrific. That was great. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. I mean, um, coming back from that, that adversity as a team, making the repairs that they needed to do in that last part before the end of the stage. And then, as you said, Ryan, maybe he was driving a little bit angry at that point, especially after he was picking off those first few guys, probably realized how good that car was. And like you said, maybe a little bit wishful that that, that accident wouldn't have happened and he could have given the leaders a run for their money. But um, really, really impressive run. These are the types of things that, that, that we need. I wasn't excited when the, the, the caution came out right at the end because he had made it into the top 10, and I was like, that's good enough. I don't want him to you know fall out of the top 10. But he doubled down and, and gained two more spots. So incredible run for this uh, number 12 team at Bristol. And race overall, like I said, it was all an experiment, and I thought the racing was, was pretty good. There was parts when, you know, uh, they were talking about it being like old Bristol kind of getting into a conveyor belt. And you saw that when Suarez was in the lead a few times, you know, lap cars didn't want to get out of the way. And um, even throughout the field, people were using the bumper a little bit, not that maliciously, but just a little bit of a bump and run here and there. And I thought that was kind of nice to see, but there was also some pretty good side-by-side racing and side-by-side passes. Um, if these guys learn a little bit more about dirt racing, you might see them searching around the track a little bit more. We didn't see much of that. Um, we saw a little bit of that in the truck race with Matt Crafton was really trying his hardest to get the outside line to work. Denny Hamlin tried to use the outside to win the race and it didn't work out. So if they get more experience at this stuff, I think the racing kind of could just get better from this point. Overall philosophy wise, whether it was good to take a regular Bristol race away and, and, and do this, I don't know. I feel like that's, we could go on for hours about whether, that's something they should have done. But I thought the product was pretty good and something to build on for next year. Yeah, you were talking about how they bumped them a little bit here and there from behind. Um, I found that interesting is that usually you bump a guy from behind to get him loose. But what I really saw was when you bump somebody from behind, it pushed him forward. It seemed like every time you rammed up into somebody, it didn't get him loose and you could get around him. What it did is it moved him forward away from you and you end up slowing down a little bit when you hit him. So it, it caused a little bit different kind of reaction for each driver to have to deal with yeah and that's actually really what kind of ended suarez suarez's chances uh at winning the race was that final restart he was going to be aggressive because he's driving against a pretty aggressive driver that just took the lead away from him and suarez kind of goes into that restart gives joey a huge shove and joey ends up like a rocket ship going down into the turn and Denny Hamlin sneaks down between the two of them. And then Suarez kind of moves back a couple spots after that. So again, that's another, uh, a learning moment for that. So if they had maybe a few more restarts after that, he could have used that knowledge. Um, Oh, by the way, uh, Logano won the race. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. And what was interesting again, is they're talking about how he, uh, he did the broadcast beforehand. And, you know, last week, uh, Ryan did the broadcast beforehand. I'm not sure. I have to go back and look here, but I think uh, the next race coming up, uh, Martinsville in two weeks, I think Ryan's supposed to do the the broadcast before that one, I think. He has one coming up on the schedule. And he runs pretty well in Martinsville, too, so I would be totally for him doing the broadcast as much as possible. Joey, during that truck broadcast, they even joked about it then, before the cup race, with him saying that, you know, hopefully uh, Dirk, they had, hopefully, uh, I think Michael Waltrip telling him, you know, Blaney was up here in the booth and won the race. You think you're going to be able to do that? And Joey said, you know, I really wanted to be up here. Same thing Ryan said last week, because you see the track from a different perspective. You can kind of see where guys are working their lines as they go. So 
maybe that helps maybe it doesn't it's just kind of a kind of a funny thing so but a team penske drivers in victory lane still pretty happy that ryan was the first one to get there but now brad i guess has to step up his game and take that two car to uh to a win yeah guys who um were supposed to be the ringers in these in these races um i think that they operate a little carelessly you know like seeing the 20 spin was just wild because i didn't expect him to be spinning out and I think what they were is they were so confident in what they could, thought they could do, and um, they probably needed to be a little more cautious. And some of the guys who were more cautious, uh, you know, they ended up lasting a lot longer in the race. And you can see that. I mean, Larson in both races, uh, I know he said his truck wasn't handling that well in the, in the race earlier in the day, and he ended up kind of crashing out of that one. And then this one, he ends up more of the victim in that crash by, in that spin by Bell, just kind of slamming into him there. So can't fault him too much. But you did see guys like Chase Briscoe and Ricky Stenhouse kind of make their way up to the front of the field, though Briscoe did end up spinning towards the end of that race. But Stenhouse just kept moving up and moving up and moving up and moving up. And I think if maybe he had another two laps, he could have, they could have been running side by side for the victory, him and Logano. So good for Stenhouse. Uh, that team doesn't always get to run up front. So, but he knows when he can take advantage uh, advantage of some races where they can have a shot. So good for him. I didn't see him be reckless throughout the day, and which some might say is surprising because <laughs> he's uh, he is known for taking some uh, risks. But he's also taking risks usually when he's trying to dr- drive over his head or drive over the ability of the car. Where in this case, he kind of used his skill set, I think. So it was a little all over the board for those guys. I think um, like Martin Truex goes out and wins the truck race, barely has any dirt experience except for a couple of charity races. So it really just cream did kind of rise to the top in this case. And there was still some surprises out there. So I wouldn't, next time we go around, I wouldn't necessarily be checking off every dirt guy in your fantasy lineup, but it's a little bit, a little bit less of an unknown next year. All right. So another great run for Ryan Blaney in the, in this, uh, number 12 Ford Mustang for team Penske. Like we said, Ryan is seventh in the cup series standings with 226 points, 101 points off of the leader. Pretty decent start to the season, all things considered. So I think with that said, that'll be it for our recap of the Bristol Motor Speedway Food City Dirt Race. Looking forward to the dirt race next year. But now, why don't we take a look back at the history of the sport, where in this case, it's been 50 years since the Cup Series was on dirt. So let's take a look at some other important moments in NASCAR history. This week in NASCAR history. All right, kicking it off for this week in NASCAR history. March 31st, 1963, Fireball Roberts outruns teammate Fred Lorenzen to win the Southeastern 500 at Bristol. Roberts' victory ride comes in his first start with the Holman Moody Ford team. Holman Moody is one of those teams, historic teams, that you hear about tons of wins back in the day. Just one of those, when you're looking through back through the record books, they're kind of prolific owners, definitely. I like going back and looking at old pictures of the tracks. Um, Bristol back then with basically no stands yes. compared to what it looks like now. It's a, you know, it's just a monster when you get up next to it. Uh, as, as we did Saturday, um, I'm still tired from climbing all the stairs. 
This week in NASCAR history, April 1st, 1979, outstanding rookie driver Dale Earnhardt scoots around Daryl Waltrip with 27 laps to go and grabs his first career NASCAR Winston Cup Grand National victory in Bristol's Southeastern 500. So April 1st, 1969, keep that April date in mind for one of our last uh, dates in this segment. This week in NASCAR history, April 2nd, 1989, Harry Gant ends a 90-race winless drought in Darlington's Trans-South 500. Gant leads the final 20 laps and beats Davey Allison to claim his 10th career NASCAR Winston Cup victory. Moving on, we're going to April 1st, 1993. Reigning NASCAR Winston Cup champion Alan Kowicki perishes in a private plane crash en route to the Bristol Food City 500. Rusty Wallace later wins the race three days after the event and honors Kwiki with a ceremonial opposite direction Polish victory lap. This was an event we kind of talked about a little bit in last week's edition of This Week in NASCAR History, where unfortunately Kwiki wins that championship the year prior as a, as a car owner and driver, but then unfortunately passes away in that air traffic accident. And our final date for this week in NASCAR history, April 2nd, 2000, third-generation driver Dale Earnhardt Jr. is the class of the field, winning the 500-miler at Texas Motor Speedway for his first NASCAR Winston Cup victory. Earnhardt Jr. wins comfortably over Jeff Burton. So Dale Earnhardt Sr. wins his first cup race on April 1st. Dale Earnhardt Jr., Several years later, in 2000, wins his first cup race on April 2nd. So not exactly the same, but I thought that was kind of interesting as I was going through my NASCAR record book here. So I think that comes uh, that will bring an end to this week's edition of This Week in NASCAR History. All right, Steve, we talked a little bit earlier about those dirt track ringers. Did you have any dirt track ringers in your NASCAR Fantasy Live lineup for the Bristol Dirt Race? Whoops. <laughs> I think a lot of people are saying that uh, because I know I definitely did. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, Bowman did so well in the two practices. I, I, I put Bowman in there. Uh, Christopher Bell was like one of the guys I thought for sure was going to. And and truthfully, if he doesn't spin out, who knows what kind of day he would have had because the uh, uh, Gibbs cars were all really good except for having issues other than you know than the actual performance of the car. Um, I had Ryan, I had Austin Dillon, and then uh, Denny Hamlin. So, I mean, really, between all those guys, um, Denny was only, and Ryan were the only ones that finished halfway decent and uh, gave me the kind of stage points or anything. Um, you know, I had Bowman actually winning. So, you know, no, no real points there. <laughs> Chevrolet is the top team, no points there. Hendrick is the top, I mean, Hendrick is the top team, no points there. So, yeah, not, not very good. Had a bit of a rough outing as well. I pretty much went with all dirt track experience guys in my lineup because I figured why not. Some of these people are guys I wouldn't start regularly uh, week to week. So I had Austin Dillon, Christopher Bell, Chase Briscoe, Tyler Reddick, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. I did end up with two of the five scoring a pretty decent chunk of points being Ricky Stenhouse and Tyler Reddick. But Austin Dillon, Christopher Bell, both Christopher Bell and Chase Briscoe spun out in this race. Christopher was a little bit worse for wear from his spin. I had Kyle Larson in the garage just in case because I didn't want to waste him because I know that five team's really good on a mile and a half track. So I didn't want to waste him unless he was really, you know, kind of spanking the field or something. So I ended up leaving him in the garage, which is a good decision. 
Uh, my bonus picks, I had Bell as the as the race winner, obviously, again. That didn't work out too well. I had Byron as the top Chevrolet. He finished uh, third. I did have Joey Logano. These are my only bonus points. I had Joey, Joey Logano as the top Ford, so that gives me five bonus points. Uh, Christopher Bell as the top Toyota. That didn't work out. Chevrolet as the winning manufacturer. Didn't work out. And Hendrick Motorsports, which everyone was saying they were the team to watch going into this, and I 100% bought into the hype. And... Uh, that definitely <laughs> did not work out well for me. So let's go over to our Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League standings update. In first place, we have Doug K0525. Holding down second, we have Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing. In third, we have Blaney's Daisy. In fourth, we have Moon Cup. In fifth, we have Joe Lopez 1. Sixth, we have Team Penske. Seventh, we have Mez 12, which is you. In eighth, we have Supermod. In ninth, we have Blaney FT NASCAR, and in 10th, we have I'm a Winner. That is the top 10 standings in the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League. As I say every week, it's really never, ever too late to join this league, because if you're really good at this, you can make up those points, I would say, in no time. But this was a little bit of an unknown weekend, so I just kind of went with my gut, just went ahead and just picked everybody at random uh, as long as they had some sort of dirt experience so another strategy of mine that doesn't work out and uh, my team's mired all the way back in the 40s (laughs) so a little bit of work to do going on for the rest of the year so Steve this is a little bit of weird uh, week for us because we're leading into an, an off week so uh, we've been talking back and forth a little bit about what we're going to do for the next episode. So I think we're going to hold off and keep our race preview uh, for the next race on the circuit, which is Martinsville, right? Yes, Martinsville in two uh, two weeks. Um, uh, night race, if I'm not mistaken. So we're staying on the short tracks here in NASCAR. I'm guessing, though, they're not going to pick up this dirt and truck it over to Martinsville and throw it down there just for fun. So, um, But it'll be a good track for Ryan, so we'll save our, our race preview for next week so that way at least you'll get a little bit of content on an uh on an off week uh leading into that next race rest leading into that next race weekend does that sound like a good idea to you yeah we can we'll wait uh for all that great info next week and uh give you guys something every week and um we're working on some other things too i don't want to announce anything but we're working on some other things so we got a little extra here and a little extra there for the fans uh, so you always keep an eye on um, uh, on your feed. Um, if you can, uh, if you're going to face or to uh, iTunes or one of those places, subscribe because if you subscribe, that stuff automatically comes to you when it comes out, and you don't have to worry about finding it or anything like that. It'll literally pop up. Um, we post the the show. Uh, Adam works on this thing, edits, edits it to what it needs to be, and uh, he posts it. Um, you know, it's there. You know, it literally, like when I wake up in the morning, it's in my feed and uh, ready to go. So um, if something pops up or we decide to do something real quick or, you know, something's out there that, that we wanted to comment on and, and wanted you guys to, to hear about, um, if you're already subscribed, you're going to get it. You don't have to look anywhere or, you know, be told that it's here or there, you know. So get to get to one of those places. It's on what? iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google, uh well, it's not iTunes, actually. It's Apple uh, Podcasts. It's Google Podcasts. Uh, where else, Adam? Can Spotify. You, you can get it on there. You can get it on iHeartRadio. And then, again, you can also check it out when we throw up the link to the Acast 
account that hosts the web or the podcast itself. Yeah. Um, one thing I really wanted to mention, um, just the outpouring of support that we got last week. I know they say winning fixes everything. Um, I don't think our podcast was broken by any means, but man, that Ryan Blaney win last week really did a number on our on our uh, our ratings for our podcast and i would say we nearly doubled the downloads in a week which you know was i don't know i it was it made me really proud of what we're doing here we're doing this thing for fun we just want to keep kind of fans involved fans informed uh while you know just about ryan and everything he's doing on and off the track um and then anything else we can kind of throw in there give you some uh, sights and sounds from the races that you might miss with some of our scanner roundups that Steve does every week for us here, uh, just to give you a little bit of an inside look at this team and um, the support that we've gotten, especially in this past week, was just incredible. So I want to thank all of the fans definitely for tuning in. Um, this has really been a fun experience so far. Yeah, you know we're not looking to make money off this or nothing, but we love doing it and. The more people that do it, the, the better we feel about it, you know, and um, the interactions with people we've had so far have been great. Um, and I want people to tell other people, you know, make it grow that way organically. We don't want it to be like, oh, we're advertising, we're spending money on it. We're trying to make sure everybody sees it. You know, I, I know I might irritate a couple people on Facebook because I, I post it every week like, hey, here's the link. Hey, check it out here. You know, here's something for you to listen to. You know, Ryan um, brought back Glass Case of Emotion last week. And uh, Glass Case of Emotion, I've listened to it all these years since he came out with it. It's a fun show. It's great to hear something about the people involved. You know, his co-hosts, uh, you know, are great. They, Chuck and, and uh, you know, and Kim, uh, they always have great stuff to talk about, but they don't always talk about the racing either. You know, so this is kind of supplemental to that. This is something that you can tune into every week and hear some uh, insight and our thoughts on, ra- on the racing itself and, um, you know, kind of give that race report that, uh, you know, hopefully we're doing a, a good job of doing for you, you know, and, and, and glass case isn't going to be there every week. Um, from, from what the way I understand it, they just kind of pop it up too. same thing. So make sure it's in your feed, you know, make sure you've got it, uh, so that it'll automatically download when it does come out. Um, but, uh, you know, this is totally different, you know, so we want this to be there for you fans and, uh, you know, interact with us on, on Twitter. Uh, with team blaney or facebook or instagram and uh you know let us know um you know just like last week adam asked you guys about um some different sound effects you know um and we got some great responses so you know just keep doing those kind of things and we'll keep trying to give our feedback back towards you yeah i mean really i don't want to speak for you steve but there's really three main reasons why i wanted to start this podcast one was just to have fun and give us uh, an environment where we could kind of hash out and talk about the the race uh, because we do that during the week and during the race and it's always been fun and a bit, I thought this would be give us a great outlet to do that. Number two was just to kind of keep fans informed. Um, like I said before, Team Penske does a good job of it, but they have a huge team to keep up with. So I thought it was, this would be another way to kind of pair this with the Team Blaney social media stuff that I've been doing for the last six or seven years and give us another voice in this uh, space. And then the third reason was really when Ryan started this Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. Um, that's why I end the show every single week talking about the foundation and where you can learn more about them because I really believe in the mission that they have going there and the small part that I can play in getting that out there to the masses and kind of promoting everything that they do. 
um, is is kind of part of what all of this is about. So, like Steve said, this isn't about money, fame, fortune for us. This is really just fun. We're a couple of guys that like watching racing. We happen to uh, kind of grow up in the same area and root for the same driver and met that way. And now we can, even though now that we're not worlds apart, but several states apart at this point, we can still hang out once a week, talk about our favorite driver, talk about our uh, one of our favorite sports, and share that with you guys. So I want to thank you again, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. If you would like to learn a little bit more about myself and Steve, you can listen all the way back to the first episode of the podcast that we did that just dives deep into how we both became fans of the Blaney Racing family. We tell you that story. If you'd like to interact with us, you can find Team Blaney on Twitter, at Team Blaney, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Team Blaney. And then don't forget to also download, rate, subscribe, everything you can on all of your favorite podcast apps, like Steve was saying, on the Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. And then also on Acast, find Team Blaney on there and subscribe. And listen every week. Listen back to some of our previous episodes. We still have a pretty decent season preview for Ryan Blaney on there that will not get old uh, for for a while. So take a listen to that. And then like I was just saying, to close out the show, we want to remind you to check out the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. This organization, established in 2018, supports causes that have closely impacted the Blaney family, including the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine Concussion Program. You can find out more about the foundation on its website, ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org, on Twitter, at rbfamfoundation, and then finally on facebook.com slash rbfamilyfoundation. And then now, finally, it has been announced over the weekend, the Blaney Bunch Fan Club. The details on how to sign up for that were released this weekend. You can find all of that on those previous social media accounts. You can take a look back. I'll probably tweet it out again, post it again on how to sign up for the, the Blaney Bunch Fan Club. I'm already... Uh, I don't. It's not a card-carrying member. I guess we're like a poker chip-carrying member <laughs> of the foundation. So you can log on there. They have a great... Um, set of perks that you get for signing up between um, like I this kind of get a little uh, poker chip that has your member ID on it you're gonna get a t-shirt you're gonna get some exclusive um, kind of video chats I think with some of the Blaney racing drivers there's lots of cool things that you can do and then the biggest thing that it does one of these things you have to keep in mind when you're signing up for that for this is that it's supporting this foundation in the charity that they're involved with with this fund a fellow program that they're doing so when you go to purchase something like this just keep that in mind not only are you buying it so you can be part of this fan club and get a t-shirt and all of this other stuff this is also a charitable donation that's going to this uh blaney uh family foundation organization and that they're helping their partners in their programs out with so that's kind of my impassioned speech to keep that in mind when you're signing up for that um so check that out again the ryan blaney family foundation and the blaney bunch fan club and uh Hopefully you'll join us as members of that going forward. So, Steve, I think this was another great episode. Thank you for coming on. So for my co-host, Steve Mez, I'm Adam Rogers, and we're going to catch you next time here on the Team Blaney Podcast.